Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. Congratulations. You just found the will of God for you. Pastor John also told us that in Luke chapter 12, 34, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So I wonder what you treasure. Do you guys remember Gollum from the Lord of the Rings? Precious, precious, my precious, my precious, my precious. The ring was his treasure. And the moment it was stolen, Gollum was not the same. He was like, I will turn over every rock. I will move every mountain until my heart and that treasure is in the same place. God's saying, What's, where's your treasure? What's your treasure? When I was lost in, the, in, in scrolling through reels the other day, I heard a man talk about that you can tell the treasure of the husband or a man by looking at his phone. Whatever a man treasures, look at his lock screen. All right, every man, get your phone out. Get your phone out. This is an exercise. Everybody's involved. Everybody's involved. Get your phone out, Josh. I see you. Get your phone out. Every man that's a man, in Jesus' name, made by God, and he said you was a man, get your phone out. Check your lock screen. He says if a man treasures his skill of hunting, you'll see him with his big catch of the day. The man said, if he treasures his job and his money, you'll see a picture of him in his car. I did that. He treasures that. If a man treasures his kids, his children will be on his lock screen. It's his treasure. The man said, every man that's married on his lock screen should be his wife. Because that should be his treasure. Every man that has a lock screen with his wife on it, stand up proud. Oh, yeah. Churn the butter. Churn the butter. Somebody say, churn the butter. He's churning. He's churning. He's churning the butter. He's churning it. He's churning it because it ain't ready right away. You got to churn that butter. Wives, do you see the husband that are standing up? You want his lock screen. Churn, 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 churn. All of you that missed the marriage, the last marriage get together, you missed it. We learned how to churn the butter. Halle. The man said, every husband that's married should have, on his lock screen should be his wife. That is his treasure. Why? Because the Lord says you lay your life down for your wife. Not your children, not your catch of the day, not your sports car. Your heart should be with your treasure. Your heart goes with the treasure. God wants to be your treasure. Why does he want to be your treasure? Because he wants to have your heart and him in the same place, not in separate rooms. I don't know if any of you guys have teenagers. I have teenagers. I text Judah. I'm like, we live together. But I communicate to him with texts like, hey, you eat today? Hey, you, you got homework? Hey, you got any plans today? I mean, we in the same house, but we're in separate rooms. God says, no, I want to be in the same room with your heart. Where your heart is, there your treasure is also. We're going by the word of God, guys. We're not just up here talking, talking. We, we preach it. Once we give our hearts fully to God, when God becomes the soil of our hearts, that's when it will be given. Life will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Jesus is encouraging us, reminding us that we can never outgive God. God says, you try dying for me. Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow after me. I don't know if any of you tried it, but it's a death march. Today's message is a continuation of last week. It's just all the same message. We're just bro- we just broke it up into different services. We tricked y'all. It's the same message. Today's message is a continuation of last week of what Pastor John was talking about, and it's all about the heart. Okay, look to your neighbor and say, it's all about the heart. Yeah, I need y'all to say that. Participate, participate, because somebody's going to say that it's not, and it is. This message is all about the heart. It's all about the heart. You know why? Because from it flows the issues of life. See, my sister right there, she knows the word. She was saying it before I even finished it. She's like, I know the word. 
Proverbs 4 and 23, it says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your, God says, I want your heart, not your ear, not your eyeball, not your good pinky toe, though it may be pretty. God says, I want your heart because from it flows the issues of life. What happens if we bury our hearts in the soil of the Lord? Woo! Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will everything that we give back to God will be given back to us in good measure? Jeremiah 17 and 9, since we're talking about the heart, it says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. And then it finishes with this. Who really knows it? Who really knows how bad it truly is? Let me give you an answer. Not you. Not you. You know why? Because we are the same people that walk around saying, God knows my heart. Yeah, I don't go to church. I don't belong to a church. I don't give to a church. I don't serve a church because God knows my heart. And God says, yeah, read Jeremiah 17 and 9 because I know your heart. I just want you to know your heart. It is deceitfully wicked, desperately wicked. Who really knows it? Not you. So here's the question. How does anyone really know how bad something really is? How do you know how bad something really is? You test it. How do you know how well or how bad a car drives? You test it. How do you know how great of a quality of television that the, the, how do you know how clear the picture is on a television before you buy it? You test it. You stand there in Sam's club for hours like Pastor John and you just (laughs) test it. You know, you just stand there and you're just like, he's just waiting for somebody to come by and be like, oh, you want that TV? Oh, you know what? I'll get you that. He's like, I'm going to just stand here and test it. How do you know the perfume or the cologne that you like or don't like? You test it. How did we know that we loved Chick-fil-A back in the day when it was in the mall and they had those little toothpicks? Anybody? Anybody? Now, here's the problem. I was 13 when they had those little toothpick chickens. I didn't have no money to go inside. So I walked by. I get a toothpick with the chicken. I tested it, y'all. I tested it. And I was like, as I was walking, I was like, I like that a lot. Now I need to figure out how to go back and make them think I'm someone else. Because I don't have the money to buy and purchase the chicken. How did we know we like Chick-fil-A? We tested it. The two picks was not anointed. It was the chicken. It was the chicken. I don't know how many of you guys, I held on to that toothpick all day. I was like, if there's any amount of any remnant left in this toothpick. How did we know Pastor John's heart was as bad as it truly was? The doctors, they went in and they tested it. So according to Jeremiah 17 and 9, how do we really know how bad our hearts really is until we test it? How do we really know God will truly come through and do what he says he is going to do? We'll test him. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, it says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great. You won't have enough room to take it in. Here's this part. He says, try it. You'll like it. No, try it. Then he said, put me to the test. How do we know until we try it and test him? Title of today's message is what test? What test? What test? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the seed of your word. God, I declare right now, God, that we have hearts that are pliable and ready to uh, be implanted with your word today. God, we don't want to just be here today. We want to be doers of your word. So God, we ask right now, God, that you take center stage, God, at the center of adoration of our hearts and our minds today. God, we ask, Lord God, that by the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we're able to not just hear your word, receive your word, God, and empower us to do your word. We love you, but today, God, we declare we're going to love you more. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'll never forget the day that I realized that God loved me way more than everybody. Way more. I know you guys are looking at me because you don't believe me, but it's true. I was in the eighth grade and I will never forget the day that the Lord says, Kaya, I love you more than everybody else. Do you guys remember you go home from school and you'd have those pages full of math homework? It's like a hundred questions. I know it's different nowadays. These kids are looking at me like, what, huh? No, we don't have math homework on pages. But back in my day, 
See, back in my day when we had slips and under, you know, under, under slips. But we ain't going to talk about that. <clears throat> I'm still trying to figure out what happened to the slips. But back in my day, we would go home from, home from school with a page full of math problems. Sometimes it would be like 56 problems, sometimes 100 problems. And, you know, I had stuff to do because back in my day, we played outside. So I had stuff to do. I didn't want to be sitting there all day, Deacon Sean, working on pages, this long page of math homework. And the day I realized that God loved me more, I looked in the back of my math book and there was the answers. God is a good God and he's worthy to be praised. I was like, lemonade stand, hold on, I'm coming. God loved me more than everyone else. I didn't share my secret with the teacher. Just know here it is, I got it done. And I was able to play outside, start a gang, you know, sell lemonade at a lemonade stand. I was busy being a leader amongst the other kids outside. Like, guys, I'm here, come on, everybody rally. Let's go, this is what we're gonna do. We're going to go over there. We're going to pick those berries. We're going to tell somebody it's food. We're going to sell it. Do you guys remember those little red berries that would be on the trees? And everybody would be like, do not eat them. I'm like, but how do you know? How do you know they're poison? So I told my gang, the neighborhood gang, we're going to sell it. Because it looks like little mini strawberries. They don't know. They don't know. God loves me so much more. And that thought process reminded me of the children of today, the people of today, the generation of today. They want to know, but they don't want to learn. They want to be rich, but they don't want to work. What's that? What is that? What kind of witchcraft? They want to be blessed, but they don't want to honor the Lord in all their ways. But they're standing there like, bless me, Lord. Bless me. They were just like me, taking those poison berries, telling people they were mini cherries. You are not following the instructions. But just like that magic math book I had, we as Christians have given the answer, we have been given the answers in the book. And it's the word of God. But quoting scripture does not prove that we have learned. And the proof is in the test. What test? What test? What test? Here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, We find the Lord instructing us to learn of his good and faithfulness through obedience of doing things the way he's told us to do things. He's inviting us to try him, testing him to see if he does not do what he says he's going to do. Okay, so let's see. What's the first thing he told us to do? Let's go back to the beginning of the text, okay? The first thing he said, he says, bring all the tithes. Somebody say all. I don't know the Spanish word for all. Adolo. Toro. Bring total of the tithes. Okay? AKA, follow all the instructions. Okay, does anybody else put Ikea furniture together? And you are left with the extra slats of wood and wood pieces and bolts. No, just Pastor John? Okay. God is saying at the beginning of Malachi 3 and 10, he says, bring all, which means follow all, all of the instructions, right? Because what happens is by the time we finish putting the Ikea furniture together and we realize, oh, this was built wrong. And God's saying, your life is an Ikea item. And if you don't follow the instructions, there's going to come a day. Maybe it's not today. But there's going to come a day where you're going to be like, oh, wait, this was, this was built wrong. I'm reading the instructions and there's stuff left out that I didn't use. I thought I could get through it because, you know, I had the answers in the back of the magic math book and I just wrote it down. Oh, but this wasn't built right. The reason why God has instructed us to bring all the tithes is because we, okay, me, okay, you have been tempted to bring some. Come on, come on, talk about it. Not all, but 
some. Right, because God knows your heart. And yeah, and it's wicked. Some of the tithes, a.k.a. some of the obedience, a.k.a. doing some of the word. I think the Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I think the Bible says that God doesn't draw, uh, have pleasure in a drawback spirit. Somebody said partial obedience is counted as disobedience. That's not in the word, but I like it. So I wrote it down. Partial obedience will cause us to not have total victory in our Christian walk. People are trying to figure out what's going on, Lord. I quoted your scripture to you in prayer. Partial obedience will cause us to not have total victory in our Christian walk. You want to know how I know? I know. Some of you guys are looking at me like, how you know, Pastor Kaya? I'm glad you asked. Acts chapter 5. We're going to start at the first verse, and it says this. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. See, some of the Bible scholars are like, oh, I know this story. Sold a possession, because it doesn't matter what it is. Because some of you guys are like, well, do I just only tie it off of my work income? Do I tie it off of my taxes? Well, what about the jury I sell? Do I have to tie it off of that? It says, and when he sold his possession, because I believe that the Bible says of all your increase. Okay, back to the text. Verse two. And he kept back part of the proceeds. This is New Testament, by the way. I just want to add that in real quick for some of y'all that are ready to argue with me after service. Verse 2 says, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, which means she knew. She can't say she didn't know what he was doing. And brought a certain part. We don't know how much, but it was a certain part. And laid it at the apostles' feet like, ta-da. But Peter, being full of the Spirit, said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. See, I told you this message is all about the heart. I know some of you guys didn't believe me, but it is. It's all about the heart. Peter, being full of the Spirit, said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Now, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great of a fear came upon those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Mm. The Greek word for kept back is nosfitsmai, which means to misappropriate. It means to misappropriate. And the same Hebrew translation is found in the story of Achan's theft. Which, you know, in the Old Testament, it was the battle of Ai. Do you guys remember Joshua who took over from Moses? It was Caleb that had the good report. And then Joshua read him and he was the leader. And then they went into the promised land. But God said, it's for you. But there's going to be some things that you're going to have to do once you get in there. So Joshua, he's led a great army. And they went against this battle called Ai. Okay, guess what? They defeated the the people just like God said that they would. But then Akon, Akon, he took back some of the accursed things and hid it in his tent. Now, I don't know what the accursed thing was. Maybe to him, it was a lamp that looked like a genie was going to come out of it. But the problem was, is that the accursed thing belonged to the enemy that they just defeated. And God was very adamant about, don't you touch none of this stuff. Don't you take for yourself none of those stuff. Don't you take unforgiveness. Don't you take bitterness. Don't you take jealousy. Don't you take anger. Don't you touch and take any of the accursed stuff because I've given you the victory. And when you begin to crave for the things of the accursed, you begin to hold back everybody. They took back some of the accursed stuff because in the end of it all, it was all about. The weight of keeping back an entire people. Now, some of you guys are looking at me because you ain't read the story, but that's okay. Write it down. Joshua chapter 7. Read the, read the story. The thing is that it held back the entire camp, and nobody knew what was going on. They're like, the Lord said that he was going to bless us and keep us and give us victory over the enemy. We saw the victory over the enemy, but something's not right in the camp some beautiful things going on here at the building Christian fellowship, man, people's lives are being changed. 
children are calling upon the name of the Lord. People are rising up and God is building his church. But then somebody wants to touch jealousy. Somebody wants to touch unforgiveness. Somebody wants to be controlled by their anger and they want to hold on to the accursed thing. And everybody's trying to figure out why we're not moving the way God says we're supposed to move in the city of Sassoon. So going back here in chapter in Acts, okay, because we back, we back, we back in the two in the New Testament, we back in Acts, okay, and so the partial obedience of Sapphira in them was affecting the camp, and because it was the first church, I believe there were some things that was concentrated, because we serve the same God that was back then, we serve the same God today, but today there are many churches, but we talking about the first church God's like oh no uh uh-uh not in here not in today so I believe there was a concentrated response that happened in the spirit when Ananias and them decided they want to hold back and have partial obedience but in both stories it lined up that both pointed to a terrible symptom of the heart it was all about the heart that left that when the, the symptom of the heart is left untreated, affected it affected the entire congregation. Somebody say it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart, you guys. But notice that in verse six it says that after Ananias dropped dead, the young men came, picked him up, and buried him. Mm. Mm. Somebody say gangster. I don't think there was any crying or any mourning. I don't think it was like, dang, are you sure he's dead? Dang, what are we going to do? Ananias died. No, they were just like, wrap it up. Ah, bury it. And then they called in his wife. She didn't even know he died. She probably thought he was in the back. In a meeting. So they came and they asked her the exact same question. They didn't even say, Safara, be careful. They didn't. They just asked her the same question the same way that they asked him. And guess what? She lied the same way her husband did. And guess what? Her fate was the same. She dropped dead. And guess what the young men did? They came, picked him, her up, and buried her too. Gangster. Here's what I want to tell you. There's some generational disobedience, Pastor Donald, right? There is some generational disobedience that's not causing you to have to deal with it, but it's leaving it for the young men to have to come pick up and bury because of your sin. There's some things that's happening in the next generation because you decided not to be obedient in this generation. I believe the Bible said it was the young men that had to pick him up. It was the young men that had to pick her up. It was the young men that had to deal with your problem. When you were supposed to be the obedient one, the more mature one, the more obedient one. But the young men had to come and deal with your disobedience. Is that happening today? Are we operating in those disobedience to a, to a point where my son and my daughter are going to have to come and pick me up and bury my dead things? It's all about the heart. And it doesn't just affect you. And that's what we're trying to get across to you today. Your disobedience that not just does not just affect you. It affects me. It affects this church. It affects your children. It affects my children. Because when we're operating in obedience the way God has called us to in his church, amazing and mighty things happen. What problems are you leaving to the next generation to deal with carrying? Because you refuse to submit to the Lord in all your ways. Dr. Don Carson, he said this quote. He said, one generation believes something. The next generation assumes something. But the third generation will forget it and deny that it ever was. Does that sound like what's happening today? I was brought up like we go into church. We are going to declare that God is good in this house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the era I grew up in. But we talking to kids now talking about, do you know what Jesus did for you? And they think we talk about Martin Luther King. What? What? One generation believes something. The next generation assumes something. And the third generation will forget it and deny that it ever happened. We got to pay attention 
to what we're doing with our obedience. Because if you ain't paying attention, your children are paying attention. Your children's children are paying attention. Somebody next to you is paying attention. The reason why we know this is all about the matter of heart because what happened in chapter, uh, in chapter 5 of Acts with Sapphira and them and Ananias and them, it all was stemmed from what happened in chapter 4 with Barnabas. Well, let's go and let's read it because y'all don't know what happened. Acts chapter 4, verses 12 through 30, I mean, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37, it says this. Okay, now when I read this at the beginning of this scripture, you're going to be like, oh wait, are they talking about the building? No, it's not. This is, this, is way before, this is way before the church started. This is way before the building started, y'all. This was their church. Okay, so Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37, it says this. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that they owned, what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. All right, let's go to verse 34. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. Verse 36, it says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and he came from the island of Cyprus and he sold his field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. And you guess what? You know what happened when he brought, when he, when he gave that offering during the service that day? Everybody went crazy. They was like, yeah. Barnabas sold this expensive piece of land. Our church is moving. We'll be able to put JR on full-time staff. We'll be able to put Erica on full-time staff. Pastor Donald, quit your job. Be our teaching pastor 100% of the job of the time. You know why? Because Barnabas sold his land and our church is moving. The church went crazy. And what happened was Ananias and Sapphira watched it. And they saw what happened. And you know what they said in their hearts? I want to be next. I want them to celebrate me. The way that they celebrate Barnabas. I want them to, to, to talk about how great I am. And what a great sacrifice I have made for this church. The way that they did, you know, for Barnabas. So what happened was Ananias and Sapphira, he ran it by his wife. He said, what we're going to do is do this, but we're going to really keep this. But that's okay. They should be happy with just this. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. All right. This is what we're going to do. We're going to wait until the service gets like high praise. High praise when everybody's there. Let's not do it at the beginning because some people be late. I'm not talking about nobody in here, right? Because everybody's on time. We gonna, we're not going to do it at the beginning of service. We're going to do it toward the end of service when everybody's there, when everybody's there. Right? And we're going to come up and we're going to be like, uh. We're going to turn around and be like, but they didn't account for the Holy Spirit being there. Maybe this is why during our offering time, we say, don't sound a trumpet in front of men. Not for your sake, but maybe for somebody else's sake. Because when they see what you give, they might be like, well, I want to be celebrated like that. So what we do here at the building, we give in secret. So when God blesses us in secret, I mean, when God sees us giving in secret, he blesses what? So many great things were happening in the book of Acts, just like here at the, at the, at the building Christian fellowship. So now powerful things were happening among God's people here in the scripture, but we see Barnabas being recognized and his great act of faith that blessed God's house. They were going crazy the way we've been instructed to in Malachi. And this is why we say during offering, we give in secret. So listen, Ananias and Sapphira, they saw it. What an amazing ripple it made in the congregation. I mean, everybody talked about it, not just in service, but even when they got home, they got on the, on, they talked on the cups. They got on the cup and they was like, did you see what, did you see what Barnabas gave at, at service tonight? You got to wait because it got a trouble. Like, yeah, yeah. Did you see him? He, he sold an expensive piece of land. No, I, no, I said an expensive, Sister Clara. A, no, not explicit. Exp- Everybody was talking about it. And so they both wanted to act the act of generosity without having a heart of generosity. They wanted to know without learning. They wanted to be rich in the acclimates of men without the work of obedience in the Bible. Partial obedience is disobedience. 
Jeremiah 17 and 9, I'm going to read it again. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Not you. Not you. So here in Malachi chapter 3, we see that God has given us instructions. The first was to bring all the tithes into our, into, God said, bring all the tithes into my house. You know why? Because our God is a holy God that deserves holy obedience. Not partial obedience. Our holy God deserves whole obedience. Amen? Amen. He says, bring all the tithes into my house. Not a cool charity. Not Salvation Army. Not the little potluck uh, bowl of, of dollars that your job is con- collecting, but he said into my house. Listen, those things are not bad things, but you bless those things out of the abundance of how God has blessed you. You know why? Because when you're standing under the, the covering, under the umbrella of God's blessing, you are blessed to be a blessing, not just to the house of God, but everywhere you go. But you must first do the first thing first. God says, bring all the tithes, where? Into my house, that my storage and my my house may have food, so that the gospel message doesn't stop, so that the preachers can keep preaching, so that the teachers can keep teaching, so that the parents can belong to a community of people that are raising their child in the way that they should go, so that prodigals and wayward children, sons and daughters can have a place to come for a place of refuge, so that orphans and orphan daughters and orphan sons can come and find fathers and mothers in the spirit that will be able to heap them up and raise them up in the way that they should go. God said, bring all the tithes into my household. But first, we must bring the tithe to God's house so his house can be in order. Did you leave your house in disarray? Well, why would you leave God's house in disarray? If you do, he says, number two, I will open up the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you don't even have room enough to receive. Okay, does anybody ever see those videos of toddlers trying to pour orange juice into a glass? Like maybe it's just me. But I'd be like, do not give that baby that juice. Do not, do not have that baby pour that juice in it. You know he about to make, and he made a mess. He made a mess. He made, he made a mess. And God's saying, yeah, that cup represents your life. And I'll come up to you like a toddler trying to pour juice into a cup. I will pour out in such a way you don't even have room enough to receive it. It's going to spill on you. It's going to spill on the counter. It's going to spill on your church. It's going to spill on your children and on your children's torture. Here's the question. Why would God pour out a blessing for me that I don't have enough room to receive? Ain't it for me? I mean, why would God say, I'll pour out a blessing that you don't even have, which means when he poured it, he's like, yeah, she ain't got enough room for this. Yeah, this is way too big for her life. Yeah, this is about to get everywhere. Why, why, why would God pour out a blessing upon my life that's for me that I don't even have enough room to receive? I heard a great theologian, Mr. Joseph Matera. He said, God doesn't want to waste his time in a one generation covenant. Why would I waste my time with a one generation covenant? God is too big to waste his time being boxed in by just your one little life. God doesn't just want to bless you now. God wants to bless your children and your children's children then and forevermore. I believe Genesis 17, 7 says, I will confirm the covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I will pour out a blessing upon your life that you don't even have enough room to receive. Where we have failed is in looking for God to just do something in one little life. Lord, just pay my light bill. Lord, if you can just please help me get my kids some school clothes. God's like, for real? That's it? When God saw your great, great, great grandfather, do you know he saw you? When God commanded obedience in your great, great grandmother, do you know that God saw you? 
He saw you in seed form and knew there is so much more than just living paycheck to paycheck. God wants to build his church through your obedience. He asked us as his children, build my kingdom according to the way that I have called it. Because he says this, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. I pour out a blessing so wide that it reaches across generations. I can't describe the goodness and the mercy and, and how great I am and how big I am without going through Abraham's generation and then Isaac's generation and then Jacob's generation you will never know how good God is until you see him pour out a blessing you don't have enough room to receive in one little life from generation to generation this is the everlasting covenant he says I will pour out a blessing upon you that far exceeds you your life will end and the blessing will go on. Why? Because you decided and chose to stand under the, obe the umbrella of my obedience. You think you're a great mom? Then teach your children in the ways of the Lord. Do you think you're a great dad? Then teach your sons to fear the Lord through your obedience of actually following the instructions of the almighty God and not leaving extra screws and bolts and slats of wood. Do it all through your obedience of actually following the instructions and remaining in the covenant. As I get ready to close, James 2, 17 through 18, it says this, thus also faith by itself, it does not have, that does not have works is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. The magic math book only got me so far until the teacher said, test time. Or when they wrote on my homework and show your work. God's saying to the Building Christian Fellowship today, I know you got the Bible, baby. I know you can quote scripture. But the Holy Spirit is saying, and show your work. I love the answers in the back of my book. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. But when the, when the teacher said, show your work, when the teacher wanted me to show what I've learned, I had nothing. I loved the answers in the back of the book. And so I walked in class and they said it was a test. But God says, try me and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you don't even have room enough to receive. It's hard to find a comparable passage of scripture like Malachi, where the Lord of heaven's army is commanding his people to test him. Woo. here in regard to giving and his blessing he's telling his people try me now in this right now it was as if God said see if you can out give me there's only so far I can travel with my children there's going to be a time where I have to stop and they will continue on and God says try me there's only so much lecturing I can give to my son before I'm going to have to let him go and do it on his own. God says, try me. Be obedient to God's word. Teach obedience to your children and see if I don't pour, pour, pour in a way you didn't even think I could move on your behalf. Poor, poor, poor in a way that they're still bringing up your name in church services. Mama Betty, poor, poor, poor. When your teaching ends, but God's continues, try me and see if I don't poor. The context for God's word about tithes is the teaching of our hearts. We're not sitting here talking about money. 
We're not talking about the answers in the back of the book. We're talking about the work. We're talking about the try me and see if our God is not faithful. The matter of tithes is only an illustration of teaching us our own hearts. Because if I treasure my money more than I treasure my God, that money will leave me. But God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If I'm treasuring my job because I've climbed up high in the company and I know they need me. They told me all the time how irreplaceable I am. But there will come a time where you will be replaced. But God says, I love you with an everlasting love. I believe it was for the safety and the leadership of the children of Israel that we saw God move by a cloud by day and a fire by night. It doesn't matter what the season looks like to you. Whether you're standing on the mountaintop and you just got everything you asked for, God says, still look for the cloud because I'm still going to lead you in the good times. I don't care if you're sitting in a hospital bed for six to seven months and it looks like it ain't never going to get any darker. God says, look for the fire. Because I'll make sure that your circumstances, your situation, your tribulation, your trouble, your hard place will never evoke or supersede that I'm moving and I'm still with you. Listen, I wasn't there when God promised Noah with the rainbow. I wasn't there when he says when he gave his promise to Noah with the rainbow. But I still see it today. And it doesn't remind me of gay pride. It reminds me that my God is an everlasting God. And what he said then, he means now. It's the same, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. I don't care if it's the peak of day. God says, I'm moving by the cloud. You'll see me, you'll see me, you'll see me, you'll see me. I don't care if it's the middle of the night and it ain't gonna never get no darker. Says God says, I'll light a fire for you. You'll see me, you'll see me, you'll see me, you'll see me. I don't care if it's been raining for 40 days and for 40 nights. God a rainbow in the sky because you'll see me you'll see me you'll see me you'll see me you'll see that my promises are true you'll see that I'll never leave you or forsaken you I'm not just saying it I mean it today but first you gotta try me and see if I don't pour out a blessing in your life you'll see me you'll see me in the bright of day where all the men and all the women are applauding your beautiful and amazing works. You're so great. Can't get no lighter than that. God says, look for the cloud. Because it's going to be some time to move. I don't know if any of you guys have ever dealt with some people switching up on you. They give you the old switcheroo. They're like, ooh, I love you. You are the best. And then all of a sudden, I hate you. I'm going to just switcheroo. Just... You gotta follow the cloud. Follow the cloud. I don't care how light it is. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how good the blessings are to you. I don't care how good the food tastes there. I don't care how nice the service is there. God says, when you see the cloud move, move. And then all of a sudden you hit nighttime. You hit nighttime. They give you a, a, di a diagnosis of death. Your kids are running away. They're acting crazy. They're acting like they're possessed with a demon because they, they probably are. And then it's, it's deep. It's dark. It's dark. It's dark. It's dark. It's dark. It's dark. And God says, I'm a light of fire. When I move, you move. When I move, you move. When I move, you move. Because I have an everlasting covenant with you. Because you decided to follow my word. My blessings will follow you in the, type, in the tip top of the day and the deep dark of the night. I'll hang a rainbow when it seems like you can't get no rain. Seems like it's about to drown you in rain. God says, I'll hang a rainbow. My promises are true. He says, I'm not changing my mind. I may not be around. When my children speak of the ways in which I followed the Lord, I may not be here to hear their words of acclamation or their words of praise that maybe I did one thing right. Maybe I won't be here. But I know one thing, that in my prayer closet, God says, Kaya, if you try me, if you try me, he said, Ashley, if you try me, try me, 
and see if I don't pour out my blessings not just on you but I'm keeping Judah I'm keeping JR I'm keeping Juwan I'm keeping heaven why because they far outlast you Kaya my blessings are too big too good too everlasting to just be wasted on one life when you die my blessings go on because that's who my God is Matthew 6 and 33 it says seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all of his righteousness and all of these things these things these things these people these relationships these positions these titles these labels these books these podcasts these all these things will be added to you but God said just seek me first just stay with me Watch the cloud, watch the cloud, watch the cloud. Up here comes the fire, watch the fire. Up, it's moving, it's moving, it's moving, it's moving. Seek me first. And all these things will be added. Many of us who have suffered with financial problems for far too long, for far too long, we have failed to do the most important thing. And that is just to trust the Lord in all of our ways. I don't even want to look at it. I don't even want to write the check. I'm like, Lord, set it up automatically so that when I look at the what's going on in the bank, I know that's for me to pay bills and do the rest of whatever I'm supposed to do with it. You've already been taken care of. When we put God and his kingdom first, he promises to show up and to meet us every time. So instead of quoting scriptures just because you could quote scriptures, quote the scriptures knowing that you have upheld God's word. God, I did what you told me to do. I'll never forget, the doctors told me, my 18-month-old baby, heaven, she was dying. She was dying and the doctor said, I can't do anything else for her. I said, okay, excuse me. I excused myself from that hospital room and I went to that hospital chapel and that's how I approached the Lord. I says, Lord, I have done everything that you have told me to do. And so right now, God, I'm asking you to cash this check. When you can stand before the Lord with that kind of confidence, that doesn't come from knowing the answers. That comes from doing the work. Ask me of my faith and I'll show you my works. Ask me if I believe the Lord and I'll show you my works. Ask me if I know that the Lord is a healer and I'll show you my husband. Ask me if I know that the God is a restorer and I'll show you my marriage. I know what the Lord can do. I know what the Lord can do. So the next time you ask God for fire, bring him the sacrifice first. The fire is meant to burn something. Not to just light you up and make you look good. God says, bring me a sacrifice and I'll ignite the fire. So examine your sacrifice today. It's all about the heart. Somebody say clear. We getting a restart. We getting a restart. They had the machine in Pastor John's room. He was going, he was going, y'all. He was going, he was going. They brought the machine in. They hooked it up. They was about to be like, clear. And then the angel stepped in and said, I know another way. He stood under the obedience of my umbrella. I have another way. Everything else that everybody else struggles with, he's not going to be able to struggle with it. Why? Because I have another way. Here comes the cloud. Here comes the fire. Right in the middle of, of our hospital room. I didn't know a cloud could get in the middle of our hospital room. But there it was, standing, saying, look, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And the same way I moved in their life, I'll move in your life today. Because you have decided to trust the Lord in all your ways. God says, listen, I want your heart and me to just be in the same place, in the same room. Stop asking somebody to pray for you. Like I text you, I text him, and then his phone has to deliver him the message. Say, no, 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 no. See, if we in this, God says, if we in the same, if I'm in the same room with your heart, you can ask for me mouth to mouth. And see if I don't pour it out onto your life. When we, our heart and our lives and our God is in the same place at the same time. I know I can ask the Lord to heal my husband. I know I can ask the Lord to heal my daughter. I know that he will move on my behalf. Because my heart and my God is in the same place at the same time. I don't have to ask anybody to send a message pigeon to tell the Lord to do something for me. 
seek the Lord in all your ways and all these things whatever you're longing for whatever you're needing he says I'll add it to you there's nothing too hard for our God but we got to train our desperately wicked heart that loves to wander and long and connect to things outside of him no pull it back pull it back God I'm gonna seek you first in all things God what do you think about this job is it okay to take this job Lord what do you think about moving me and my kids to to Australia what do you God what do you what do you think about that God what do you think about me being able to present this message or is this for me or is this for everybody God what do you what do you think God, what do you think about me just taking a rest day and doing nothing? Or, or do you think we should just spend some time together, just, just me and you? God, what do you think? In all your ways, in all your ways, in all your ways. Bless and seek the Lord. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word today. Come on, every eye close, every head bow. God, I thank you for your word today. God, I pray right now, God, that your word has taken deep root in us that we will be changed forevermore because your word is true. So God, by the gift of your Holy Spirit, God, will you help us to be not just hearers of your word today. God, we want to be doers. Some of us have a hard time jumping from hearing the scripture to doing the work. God, will you please meet us there? Will you meet us there as you take our maturity and spiritual, our spiritual maturity to a new height in you? God, I want to be changed. I don't want to be the same. I don't want to keep going through the cycle of the same mistakes over and over and over. God, make me new again so that you can rend heaven and pour out a blessing upon me and my children and my children's children. God, I thank you so much, Father, for the covenant that I have with you. I thank you right now, God, that you want to do more, 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 more. God, we say send the rain because we have the seed in our hearts. Send the rain. God, we're ready to grow something. We're ready to grow something. We're ready to grow something. We're tired of covering up what it is that we want to hide and keep for ourselves. We're ready to grow something. We're ready to do something. Send your rain, oh God. So that every area of my heart is touched and saturated with your word today. God, we thank you for it in the awesome and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen.